Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual. Even with all I know and have learned deep diving into grief, it can still be hard showing up for loved ones who are grieving. So I'm really excited to have discovered Grief Warrior. Sending a Grief Warrior box is a way that friends and loved ones can say, I'm thinking of you and acknowledging your grief. Each box has thoughtfully chosen items, including a journal, anxiety relief essential oil, and so much more. My favorites are the In Morning Badge, letting others know you're in pain without having to say so, and the Ways to Help Notepad, which simplifies asking for help with tasks like laundry or errands without feeling weird for asking for help. The Grief Warrior Box provides healing and comfort, and most importantly, it's a communication from you. Head over to agriefwarrior.com and enter GGG20 for 20% off your purchase of a Grief Warrior Box. Check our show notes for more info on Grief Warrior. Gratitude and Greatness explores our relationship with grief, the gratitude for our humanity, and the greatness we attain when we tell our stories. I'm your host, Sarah Shaul. At 21 weeks pregnant with twins, Christy Wopat's water broke. At what should have been the halfway point in her pregnancy, she was rushed to the hospital where she was diagnosed with a condition known as PPROM, a preterm premature rupture of membranes. While there are exceptions, 24 weeks is the universally accepted minimum gestation period for babies to have a chance of survival. Bedrest was prescribed as the best opportunity for her to continue to incubate her babies. During this time, She filled her days by poring over the internet, searching for stories of others who went through the same thing. People she knew offered well-meaning advice, but it wasn't always helpful. She spent this time in self-scrutiny and worrying about how she would protect her babies. A few weeks later, she went into labor and delivered Sophie and Aiden, who died shortly after. Christy chronicles her experience of happiness, hope, despair, and grief in the book Almost a Mother. Christy's honesty and humor come through like a silent and supportive nod. Her book serves as an aid for parents experiencing child loss in a world lacking those resources. We, as a culture, tend to move on, minimize the loss of preterm babies and miscarriage. Parents carry silent pain, particularly while seeing other babies and families. They struggle with tough choices. They have to make decisions about things you would never think about. Do we want a memorial photo with our dead baby? What kind of funeral do I want for my babies? Am I crazy for wanting to punch other pregnant people? Right now, someone very close to me was just diagnosed with breast cancer, which is another separate kind of grief, you know, where you're grieving like the normalcy and worrying about life. And I messaged her and said, I, this is one I don't have experience with. I don't, I don't know how to handle this. Here's what I have for you. I love you. I will be there. 
Um, if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to try not to. You know, I'll go out and read articles about it. Like, what do people want you to say? But when it gets really hard, I just say, I love you. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of you and I I don't know what to do right now, but I just want you to know I'm thinking of you. And that for me would have always been enough. You yeah. know, I would have always preferred that over someone running away in either sense of the word. And then people will come up with the most ridiculous, unbelievable thing to say that they think will help you feel better. Right. Like there's, oh my gosh, but I really, you wrote about something that just tops everything I've ever heard, which is, um, it's a good thing that happened because your twins were probably going to become serial killers. Was that really what somebody said to you? Like, yes. Um, I, I was actually still in the hospital. Mm. I want to say, um, and thinking, wow. I, I remember thinking in what, way possible could that ever make me feel better I that one was a reach for me most of the time like you said I I really tried to be I don't know understanding or think about well maybe they had this life experience but that one I was like you have to be kidding me right now or you were saying oh I get that they're trying to make me feel better you know right yes but that one no that one that one is a reach for me I like to tell that story simply because it's shocking yeah I did a show called listen to your mother a few years back where oh, yeah have you heard of that yes mothers can write you know five minute stories in you audition and I told the story of my twins and that story is actually where the title of my book I guess came from I tell that story but right in the middle of it I said, you know, and she said, looked at me and said, they they died because they would have been serial killers. And the Ugh. entire audience took this collective like, <gasps> right. and I, it's like funny to me now because, you know, I'm 10 years out from it. And at the time I was horrified. But the fact that 500 people in a theater gasped at the same time made me know that, yeah, that one was a little out of left field. What did you say? I... I Get literally, out. <laughs> I, I glared at her. I just glared at her. Yeah, I hadn't even left the hospital yet. Mm. My babies had just died and I was so weary and so tired. I, I wasn't even ready to be mad yet. At that point, I just wanted to go home. And I, I don't think I said anything back to her, to be honest. Oh, man. Unbelievable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are other like landmines too of going home. I was reading in your book, just having the nursery and just everything in the nursery, what a a reminder you can never get away from. Going home was so awful. I wanted to be out of the hospital. I I couldn't be there anymore. There were babies being born all around me and Mm. moms being pushed out with balloons and flowers. Mm. And I couldn't, I couldn't physically be there anymore. Yeah. Uh, But I didn't anticipate walking in the door and just seeing my pregnancy everywhere and my twins everywhere. And, you know, I remember there was a gift bag with like pink and blue booties in it that someone had knitted for me. (laughs) And there was like a formula sample on the counter and I, I couldn't get away from it. I even tried to read a book and I couldn't concentrate, but I tried it anyway. And stuck inside of the book was like, like a pregnancy to do list. And I am a 
super type A list maker. So it was like, figure out how to open van door while carrying two infant car seats, you know, because I was so specific and so excited about having twins. So you couldn't be at the hospital, but this is so once you got home, these were the reminders, like the booties and the bookmarks. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they were they were everywhere. Magazines, my my email. There was no way it was going to work for me to try to pretend like it didn't happen. Interestingly, my mom had a full-term stillbirth between my older sister and I, probably the late 70s. And everything was handled very differently then, even though I still think we have a long way to go in terms of care for bereaved moms. But they didn't let her see the baby. And when my mom got home from the hospital, my grandmother's had cleaned the nursery out like it had never been there and like put it back the way it was. I didn't like that the nursery was there, but I do think that me packing it up was probably part of what I needed to do to keep my grief moving along, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I think I read something that you wrote about the longer you avoid it, the harder it is to face. For me, yeah, for me. I, I remember there was this woman from Australia that I blogged with. I met all these women from across the world via the internet, like when blogs were really big. This was the year 2009. So people were blogging. We didn't have Instagram. So you had to write a whole post about what you had for lunch, not just a picture. And people were, people were blogging and I stumbled across one and there was this this woman in Australia who probably to this day has not taken the nursery down. She left it. She left it as just a memory, I guess. I remember her blogging about how thick the dust was on the side of the crib. And she's gone on to have two more kids. And I don't know if her kids would ask or if maybe she needed that room eventually. But for me, I felt like I needed to face it and I needed to do it soon or I would chicken out. But some people need more time. So I know when my mom died, my dad never got rid of her stuff. He just it never did. For a while, there was a bit of comfort in that. But then even I was like, okay, this is weird. Like, right, her makeup, right. <laughs> all her makeup. And we weren't even living in that same house anymore. Yeah. But he moved it all over still. It's interesting because I don't know when it goes from being comforting to suddenly weird, but I've sort of had that same experience. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness. Have you told your friends about us yet? Word of mouth is an important way for us to reach more listeners. So spread the word and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. So even things that people don't think about, like getting, you know, repeated emails about your baby registry and and having like reading about the, just the frustration of not being able to cancel your baby registry and no one helping you with that. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. I remember calling my mom sobbing and telling her, you know, I never ever want to go to Target again because of pregnant people being there anyway. And I I had to go in order to cancel my registry because they wouldn't help me online. And then they still wouldn't, couldn't help me in the store. It was one of those, 
online would tell me I had to do it in the store and in the store would tell me I had to do it online. And it was so hard for me to just say why I wanted it canceled. And I just remember just sobbing and begging my mom to do it for me. And somehow she took care of it. I don't know what she did, but... Oh, good. (laughs) I would say, like, I need to cancel it. And I'd get, well, did you know that if you put other things on it, you can still get 20% off? (laughs) And I I was at, I was really at, like, the bitter, angry part of my grief, which, I mean, I went, it wasn't just that part that I was bitter and angry, but right then I wanted to say... Guess why I don't want 20% off this baby registry? Because my babies are dead. And I sometimes I would like the reaction I got if I got really angsty like that. But usually it wasn't that great of a reaction. They would just stare at you. I don't know. (laughs) I guess at Target, they can't just run away like your neighbor did. Right. Right. (laughs) Exactly. They just... (laughs) They just stare at you. But on the other hand, I remember once going to the mall because I wanted to buy something for my husband. It was Father's Day. And we know how difficult some of those holidays can be when you're suffering through a loss. And I wanted to get something for my husband. So I thought, oh, I'll get like a keychain engraved with, you know, Sophie and Aiden's name on it or something. And... I remember it was like a teenage boy that worked there and I couldn't keep it together. And I told him why I wanted it. And he came out of his little kiosk in the mall and gave me like the most sweet, Mm. awkward high school boy (laughs) hug and was like, you know what? I'm going to give this to you for as cheap as I possibly can. I would just give it to you if I didn't think I would get fired. So sometimes, you know, sometimes I had these, these beautiful souls who could somehow realize that it was a big deal. And other times the people that either ran away or just stared at me. Man, all of this contributed to, to some serious social anxiety. And you were also right about judgment. I mean, that too contributed. Oh, yes. People thinking you shouldn't go on a vacation or that that's right. not the right thing to do. I really felt like no matter what we did, people had a problem with it. We got we had been home from the hospital for a day when I suggested to my husband that we kind of skip town. I I needed to be away. Like people were stopping at my house and I was so grateful that you know they were bringing I live in Wisconsin so they're bringing casseroles with tater tots in them and um Yum. soup <laughs> and and flowers. But all of that was was too much for me. I I couldn't even get out of the bed to open the door. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And I remember saying, let's just, let's skip town. And I called my mom to tell her that. And she, she understood, but she said, just so you know, people will be appalled that you do this. And I remember thinking, what do you mean people are going to be appalled? Like, what do they have to say about how I am grieving? And, you know, we, we did it. We left, but I, I heard from people when we got back that they couldn't believe that I had gone and, you know, I didn't know what they thought I was supposed to be doing back at my house except sobbing in my bed. I I don't know. I just needed a little time for us to be just the two of us and figure out how we were going to survive this. It's just incredible to me that people will even think what they think matters (laughs) Right. They have an opinion on everything. Mm -hmm. I really didn't know if I wanted to have a funeral 
or a memorial service for my babies. I ended up not mostly because I just could I just couldn't. I couldn't I couldn't physically do it. It was enough for me to just go to the funeral home to get the urns. And I remember people having opinions on that and I'm sure I'm sure they would have had plenty of opinions on if I had a funeral for my babies. There were I mean people just still really think like that it's weird that you are even burying them. Like there are mm. people that just don't even think they were real people to start with. So mm. it gets pretty tough. People have opinions on everything. And like you said, it that social anxiety definitely came in with a vengeance. And I got to the point where I would only see basically my husband for days or weeks at a time. And I didn't want to leave the house. I didn't want to see people who didn't know. I, I didn't even want to go get my hair cut because I was like, how am I going to explain to, mm. you know, this the stylist that this had happened? Right. Everybody had questions. I wasn't pregnant anymore, but had no babies. And I was pregnant with twins. And so I was very visibly pregnant, even though I was only six months along. I was, you know, I looked like a full-term pregnancy because there were two. Yeah. And so I, I just, I didn't want to go anywhere. And meanwhile, your body is responding to your pregnancy still, right? I mean, people don't realize, I think, how much a woman's body prepares itself approaching birth for caring for children and then just healing from the pregnancy. So you're lactating, you're bleeding. I mean, it's so intense. I remember I remember feeling so desperate for people to understand what I had truly gone through because before this happened to me I would have been one of those kind of clueless people that didn't actually realize that I had given birth to actual babies who went into a room in the hospital and got hooked up to monitors and then died and I don't know how people think babies get out after their certain length along, but I'm sure that I never gave that a lot of thought or thought about it. And so I was, I am a teacher and I, I was a teacher then, and I chose not to go back to work for the rest of the school year. I basically just took my maternity leave. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't go back and People thought that was the most strange thing. They thought I should not do that. I needed to come back and face it. I needed, you know, to move on and move forward. And I, I was, you know, probably three weeks out from, from delivery and I hemorrhaged and had to go to the emergency room. And I'm like, you know, I still had a really crazy tough delivery, even though they were early and small. And my body had so many things going on between grief and depression and hormones and... Right. And physical stuff, not just chemical. Yeah, it was very intense. Your input matters. If you have thoughts on this episode check out the show notes to find out how to contact us. We'd love your feedback, suggestions, or just a thumbs up. Well, I had a miscarriage. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. 
Thank you. I don't know how to even describe it. I think it's so bizarre because in some ways it, it felt like a live birth, like this, I, I hesitate to call it a thing, but what I delivered had structure like a human form, you know? That, that was a really hard, tough experience. And I remember feeling like I was really just barely going through the motions and only a few of my very closest friends knew about that. I remember just like not telling anybody because that's what we do. Right. It's supposed to be something that's your own business. Right. Yeah. And you don't, you don't want to burden people with the bummer of it, you know? Why would I tell right, anybody? Right. Because it's just a bummer. That What's the value in telling people about it? Well, I would argue the value is that you need them. <laughs> right, right. But If you do, if you do. Some people don't, and that's okay too. So I'm in this amazing moms group that formed when my when our first children were born. Each of us has two kids in this group. And, and we used to get together. We, met, we all met at like some hospital group. And then the facilitator was amazing, like, uh, lactation nurse um, eventually kicked us out and said, okay, you guys need to like get each other's phone numbers <laughs> and I need to graduate you because there's a fresh crew yeah. coming in and they need this space. So we started every Friday, we'd rotate at different homes, just like 10 families, 10, 10 moms. And it's been amazing. I mean, our kids are 15 years old now, wow. uh, getting their learner's permits for driving. And we still, uh. we still get together pretty regularly. But I remember there was one of these groups where, and this was long after I had miscarried and we, I think I was hosting that day and only two other moms showed up or either that or some moms left and there were just three of us. And I don't know what overcame me, but I came out, I came out with it and I said, you know, I actually miscarried. And then both of the other moms said, I did. And I did. And I was like, what, how are we not, how are we not talking about this? You know? And it was just incredible to me because we were so close. Right. To know that somebody that you talk to about so many things. Yeah. I cannot believe how many people w will say to me, I heard your story. I This happened to me. And they've never told anybody. Mm -hmm. Anybody except maybe like their mom or their sister. It is something that we carry so close to ourselves and... I want to give people permission to talk about it. I want people yeah. to know that it's okay to share about how awful some of these experiences are. And it's such, there's a lot of science that goes into grief. And, you know, you hear the term ambiguous grief, maybe like when someone is alive, but you're grieving them slowly for whatever reason. And mm -hmm. infant loss is sort of like that because it's ambiguous because. Other people can't see how it is this loss for you. They think, oh, you know, it's sad or it's a bummer, but it's so much more than that for certain moms. And I think the less we talk about it, the more people are just like, oh, well, you know, it's just something that you go through. It's a part of life that probably would have been a serial killer. It's probably better <laughs> that it happened, <laughs> you know. But really, when people talk about it, it's like this huge weight gets off their chest and they look at me and say, I can't believe I just told you that. And I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm glad you did. And I'm sure they're glad too. A few months ago, I was booking an event for a, an author signing or something that I was doing. And I showed the woman my book and told her 
why I was wanting this space. And she said, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe you wrote that book. And then she said, my daughter would be 27. Mm. And I said, oh my gosh, what was her name? And she just started sobbing right there. And she said that no one in her entire life had ever asked her what her baby's name was. (sighs) That she had lived with this 27 years. And her baby was one when she died. She... (sighs) had lived to be one. And I think there was like a choking accident or something horrible and tragic. And whenever she told people that story for the last 26 years, no one had ever asked her, what was your baby's name? And there are just really simple, simple things that we can do to help moms who are grieving. Because in my experience, from almost everyone I've ever talked to, all they really want is to try to remember them in some little way. Yeah. Even just by saying their name. Right. And when other people say their names, it gives us that freedom to be able to talk about them without the guilt or, yes. again, social anxiety of like burdening the people around us with this heavy topic, right? Exactly. I love talking about my my mom. She was a super awesome, super dynamic lady. I, I can tell some, around certain people when I bring her up, it's just like, uh, you know, just the, the energy, the mood goes you down, can, you know? Yeah. And it's uh, like, oh, here she goes again, talking about <laughs> someone who isn't alive. Right? I mean, I guess we could talk about Napoleon all we want, but I guess if it's... <laughs> I used to be a French teacher, so I have talked about Napoleon in my life. Well, I guess you get to talk about him, but... <laughs> okay. <laughs> can I share this really crazy thing that happened with me? Yeah. Back in the day, I was never aware of the term rainbow baby. I didn't I didn't know what okay. that meant. I think it's kind of a newer term. I mean, I'm not that old. But anyways, I <laughs> so I had my first child. And then shortly I became pregnant within a year of having him. And then I miscarried. And then I had my second child four years after my first son was born. I was at a mom and baby yoga class very close to my work. And I was able to just, because I always took my baby to work in the first like six plus months. And I walked into this yoga class and it must've been summertime. And the teacher had her daughter come because she didn't have childcare during the summertime. And her daughter was just a lovely girl and just a lovely artist. And she would draw pictures. One day she drew a picture of me, which was super cute, on these big, big pieces of paper. And then she drew a picture of my son, my youngest son, with a big rainbow over his head. And it said, rainbow baby. Isn't Ugh. that crazy? I just got like the hair on my arms just stood up. And and at the time that she did that, I had no idea what a rainbow baby was. And ever since right. then, I've been like, wow, what's going on with that girl? Like what insight right. does she have? If you'd like to support our work with grief, gratitude, and greatness, consider becoming a backer on Patreon. Your support allows us to deliver conversations that help to dissolve the stigma and evolve our culture around grief. You'll find a link to contribute via Patreon in the show notes. And if you have a business that supports people who are listening to our show, let's talk about how you can sponsor an episode or two or three.
man, I didn't know what to do. I I didn't know I didn't know how to get better. I tried all sorts of different things. I went to therapy. I I went to support groups. I blogged online with my mom friends and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I read books about grief that annoyed me, but I still read them and got the information (laughs) from them. Why did they annoy you? Most of them, I have nothing against psychologists or psychiatrists. In fact, I wish I were one. Okay. But most of these books are written by people who research grief which is great. We need data and we need statistics, but none of them helped me. Like learning that there were stages of grief or like looking at charts about how grief goes up and down and up and down didn't help me at all. And I remember vowing to write the book someday that would tell how crazy I felt and how angry I felt. I lost a baby and suddenly realized that in like books and movies, like even in Lifetime movies, the crazy lady who like tries to like becomes a nanny and tries to steal the man's wife, she's crazy because her baby died. Like seriously, like 50% of the time. <laughs> like we just have this outlook that people have these terrible tragedies and then they can't come back from them. But they can. I think that they just, we just need to be honest about it and say, yeah, I felt like that too. So, what did work for you? I am very open and honest with my friends and family about the fact that I need to honor and remember them all the time. So, uh, my kids will bring up. Sophie and Aiden in conversation. There are things all around my house that maybe somebody who doesn't know me wouldn't notice, but somebody who does would know like, oh, that's that's for Sophie and Aiden or that's an honor of Sophie and Aiden. There are very important dates to me, their birthday, things like that. And people who love me know that I am always going to remember those dates and that it means a lot to me when they say their name or send me a text. Like honoring them is the is one of the biggest things for me. And writing kind of goes along with that. And I I'm forever proud of the fact that there is a book out on shelves and in libraries and in people's hands that say my baby's names inside mm. of it because I don't get to be their mother in any other way except to remember them. And that that for me is how I turned my grief into something to honor the fact that they were alive and they were here and that they were my children and I don't get to I don't get to mother them but I do get to remember them. Grief, Gratitude and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual in Portland, Oregon. This episode was produced and edited by Jack Saturn and me, Sarah Shaul. The music was by Samantha Jensen. Visit us online at griefgratitudegreatness.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at griefgratitudegreat. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a review. Your feedback helps our show and helps us find new listeners. If you have a story of your own that you'd like to share or topics you'd like to hear more about, we'd love to hear from you. Call or text our show at 503-454-6646 
or send us a message via the contact link at griefgratitudegreatness.com. Be sure to let your friends know about us and join us next time. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you.